Good morning. I am uh, this morning getting to do the third week of your friending series. You've talked about making friends. You've talked about keeping friends. You've talked about community. Looks like you've talked about how uh, you know to eliminate maybe some friends from the video we watched there. You've talked about radical friendship. Today I want to talk about friending for Jesus. And so as a full-time missionary, uh, I want to I tell you the story. I want to tell you the story of how we got from being out there, thinking the people up here were something special, were somebody special, were somebody that we couldn't be, to getting to be here on stage. And I'm going to wrap that back into friendship and community for us. So without further ado, I want to talk about our story. In 2005, my wife and I got married, and we decided the month after we got married that we were going to go and travel the world. And we grew up in small town, Mississippi, just next door, and don't worry, we're not like trust fund babies or something weird like that, right? We decided we were going to go travel the world, but we had zero money. Can anybody attest to that? We had zero money, and so we decided that a good idea for our first couple years of marriage would be to work all the time, save all our money, never go on dates, never buy our flowers, skimp on Christmas, no birthdays. Sounds like good advice for a first, you know, initial marriage, right? Well, two years later, we had enough money in the bank, we thought, to go start traveling, And so we quit everything. We sold everything. We sold houses and cars and everything we owned. We packed some clothes and a couple backpacks, and we began to travel. We started out in Fiji and then New Zealand and Australia and Indonesia. And somewhere along the way, somebody told us, you should go to Bali. And so we're like, okay, what is there to do in Bali, right? Because this trip was about us. Like, it was about us seeing the world, get out of Mississippi, like, going somewhere, And they were like, sun, sand, and surf. We're like, sold. And so we fly to Bali. We get there. We rent this little Jeep that dies every time we park it. I have to learn how to like, you know, you know the thing where you jump off a car while it's rolling down a hill with a stick shift? Yeah, I had to learn how to do that. My wife and I are doing the sun, sand, and surf thing, and she finds yet another S. Ladies, any ideas? Shopping. My wife finds shopping, and in particular, there's about 10,000 little sundress shops on this island, and my wife wants to visit all of them and try on all the sundresses. Guys, you feeling me? We're going store after store after, like, store, right? And she wants to go into another store, and I'm like, I can't take it anymore. So I go in the souvenir store next door. I walk in. I'm a couple aisles over from the door. This These two guys walk in, they walk to the back, they call the shopkeeper out. I'm standing there, they start to speak English. Can I go ahead and confess that I listen in when I'm in another culture and somebody speaks English? I'm just saying, I just listen into their conversation. I start to listen into their conversation and I realize pretty quickly that what's happening is they're brokering a deal to purchase two kids. Little boy, little girl. Man, I'm rocked, devastated. Man, I'd never seen or heard of anything like that. I debate on what to do. Do I start a fight with three people that are bigger than me and I'm no kung fu guy? What do I do? I run out in the street. I find my wife. We search for police. There's no police in this neighborhood. 
We don't know what to do next. We keep searching out and out and out until we finally find police and we later find out that the police were probably not in that neighborhood because they were paid not to be there because they knew what was happening. We couldn't find our way back to that shop to help those two kids. But God opened our eyes to a community in need. God opened our eyes to a people in need of somebody to friend like Jesus. We continue to travel throughout Southeast Asia. We go to Nepal with this kind of wild hair that we're going to hike to Mount Everest Base Camp, right? Lowest of lows. We're trying to go to the highest of highs, right? We start to hike, and it turns out living in Mississippi your whole life does not prepare you for high altitude. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and give you that. (laughs) We have to get off the mountain because we get altitude sickness, and we find ourselves in a little town called Pokhara, Nepal. We're walking to breakfast one morning after some R&R. We get to feeling better. And my wife sees a sign for an orphanage and says, hey, why don't we go volunteer after breakfast? So we did. We wander up to this orphanage. We asked to volunteer. They put us to work like peeling potatoes and cutting vegetables and fixing food for the dinner early, uh, later that day. These kids come home from school later, and we fell in love with these kids You see, God gave us a community. God gave us friendship and connection. We're in Nepal, and in particular, we fall in love with this little boy named Sagar, who's four, and a little girl named Asha, who's eight, and it's hard for me to imagine them little anymore. Sagar is 17, 16, 17 years old now, and Asha is 20 years old living on her own, going to college, doing her own job, living in her own apartment. She has a boyfriend. I'm not thrilled with that. (laughs) My Asha has found Jesus along the way. Sagar has found Jesus along the way. And I want to tell you that... God gave us community. He gave us a people. He gave us these connections with people as we traveled and thought it was all about us. God opened our eyes to say it's not all about us. It's about connection. It's about community. It's about friendship. It's about relationship. And it changed our lives. I believe it changed our destiny. Community has a way of doing that. Friendships have a way of doing that. We started to sponsor these kids in the orphanage. We looked into adoption, and they were unadoptable according to some crazy laws. And so we said, okay, we are all in on sponsoring and loving these kids, and they're our kids whether or not they live in our house. And so we continued our travel around the world. We made it back home. We both have master's degrees, so we like did the American thing. like We went back to work because we were out of money. We spent it all traveling. And, right, it's a good expense. We get jobs in Missouri and we start to go to a church called High Street that supports missions all around the world every month. About 130, 135 missionaries here, there, and everywhere. We start to hear missionary stories as they come in and speak and share how God touched their lives. How God gave them a community that they could impact. And we'd walk away every time going, man, like we know those people. Like we've seen their eyes. God wouldn't let us forget that. 
You know, as we traveled around the world, God gave us this community. But he also challenged us along the way to do something with it. And so we started to kind of talk up Nepal, and, and, and finally our missions pastor at church said, hey, let's go on a mission trip, you lead. And I'm like, great, I don't know how to do that, but okay. And so we lead a trip to Nepal, a mission trip of people, and we go in and we work, and we're loving on kids and orphanages and schools, and we're sharing the gospel, and we're doing all these things. And I must have listened to too much David Platt, because one morning, I'm on the rooftop of the hotel, and I just cry out to God and say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, the answer is yes. Whatever you want me to give, the answer is yes. Wherever you want me to go, the answer is yes. Point me in the right direction. I make it back home, and we thought it was give more financially. My wife and I got side hustles. Anybody got a side hustle? My wife and I got many side hustles and started giving more money to Nepal and to help kids and to help people and to share the gospel. In 2014, we had gathered a whole group of friends around us, and we were all giving, and we were supporting an orphanage fully with us and a group of friends. And God keeps tapping me on the shoulder going, there's something else. And so I buy a plane ticket to Nepal. I fly there to figure out what God has for us. Are we supposed to move there? I get there. I interview our kids in our orphanage. And these kids have created community as they've stepped out of lives of brokenness and hopelessness. Many of them off the street and in terrible situations. They stepped into a community of believers in an orphanage where they have Bible study every night of the week. These kids have come to faith in Jesus. And then they began to friend like Jesus. They began to tell their friends at school about Jesus, their teachers about Jesus, their friends' families about Jesus. And when I went there at the beginning of 2015, these kids had brought about 40 families to faith in Jesus by being a friend, by reaching out, by loving people, by telling people this good news. And I looked at that and I go, how do we take this little community and multiply it to many little communities? We wrote a nonprofit business plan. We put together a board of directors. We sent in paperwork to our government in February 2015 so that we could start a nonprofit to do this full time. We thought we had a year to figure it all out because that's what everybody told us. Our government's going to take a while to give approval. Anybody, right, attest to that? One month later, we get a letter in the mail that says, Get to work. Your nonprofit's been approved. We're like, okay, miracle. God, what next? One month after that, massive earthquakes hit the center of Nepal, decimate the center of the country. You may remember it in the news, April 2015. Over a million homes, businesses, schools destroyed, people's lives wrecked. But listen, our orphanage, our kids who had become this awesome community of believers were sitting right on the outside edge of the decimation. We took that as God saying, get to work. So we raised money. We sent it over. We end up going into like 20-something different villages, sharing food, water, shelter, clothing, and telling people about Jesus. 
I come back home from this crazy trip that I led into this village in Nepal among this unreached people group, sharing the gospel. And I tell my pastor, I want to do this full time. How do I do it? He introduces me to a guy named Bruce O'Neill. And Bruce founded Mana Worldwide in 2001. He kind of had a few things figured out that I didn't know about. (laughs) I go in and I ask him for advice. And he says, okay, I can advise you, but here's the other thing. What you don't know is Mana just decided to take on an assistant director for Asia. We're specifically looking for somebody with contacts among Hindu people in Nepal or India. Do you happen to know anybody? And I'm like, you know, you ever have that moment where you're like, uh, I don't know, right? And so I say, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. And he said, well, why don't we pray about it, see what God does? And so I said I'd pray about it, church. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever do the Christian thing? When somebody challenge you with, challenges you with something, you say, I'll pray about it. And what, the, what does that really mean? It's not likely that that's going to happen. <laughs> like, I'm a, I'll, pr- I'll say a prayer or two about it, but it's probably not going to happen, right? I come home, I tell my wife, and she said, no, really, we got to pray about it. Often she's the Holy Spirit speaking to me, I think. <laughs> she, it just channels right through her. And uh, she says, let's pray about it. And so we do. Over the next three months, we quit our jobs. We sell our house. We sell a car. Sounds familiar to our crazy journey, right? I think God was preparing us. And we start traveling with Mana Worldwide. We start building partnerships with churches like Cornerstone to say that these communities of people throughout Asia matter. To say that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we got a friend like Jesus. We've got to look at the people over there and around us over here, and we've got to love them like Jesus does. So now we work full time. As missionaries, we get to speak in churches all over the country, create partnerships where churches can partner with specific projects throughout countries in Asia. We work in Nepal and India and Bangladesh and China and Mongolia and Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam and all these places that we went to where we saw that hopelessness. Isn't God good? And so as we do this with manna... I see this as us building partnerships with communities here throughout the United States to impact communities there throughout Asia. And what tends to happen is that, yeah, we make an impact there, but man, they impact us. They impact us because when we friend like Jesus, we get to see the perspective that other people have. We get to see Man, the hope found in Jesus in a real, real way. And it changes our destiny. And it changes their destiny. It changes eternity, church. So let's talk about Jesus. Jesus gathered his community in Matthew 4. He gathered his community Matthew 4, 18 through 22 reads, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, pretty important guy, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Isn't that cool? 
Isn't that like a cool one-liner from Jesus? Like, I see you fishing. Come here, I'll teach you how to really fish. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. And so Jesus gathers these disciples. But Jesus never just gathers. We're going to talk about that. There's an awesome quote from Spurgeon. He's a, he's a pastor of, of old, you know. One of those pastors that has all these quotable things that, you know, like one day we all hope that someday we'll have a book with our quotes, right? No. Uh, but Spurgeon is one of the most quotable, like crazy, incredible thinkers. And he says this about these verses. He says, God usually calls people as they are busy doing something. Jesus called the apostles as they were casting a net into the sea or mending their nets. They were busy in a lawful occupation when he called them to be ministers. Our Lord does not call idlers but fishers. I love that. I love that, church, because as we are gathered here, we are meant to be not idlers but fishers. We're meant to gather together and then do something with what we gain here with what we grow in community here. I mean, Saul was looking after his father's donkeys when the Lord called him. David was keeping his father's sheep. The shepherds were guarding their flocks. Matthew was working as a tax collector. So Jesus' first disciples. He calls his first disciples. He gathers his community, right? But we're not just gathered we're not just gathered as a community just for the sake of, of being gathered. We're gathered to grow. Right, church? We're gathered to grow in church just like those kids in our orphanage gather each night in Bible study to grow. And, and probably one of the best examples of this from Scripture that I can find is in Matthew 5. So just after Matthew 4, when he calls these first disciples, Jesus lays it down. Like Jesus delivers the sermon. This is probably a sermon that Jesus didn't just speak once. Like he probably rehashed parts or even whole the whole thing throughout his ministry, because this is where Jesus tells us what we are meant to do, what it's meant to look like if we're going to be followers of Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's speaking to a group of people. People say that if you took all the knowledge, all the writings, all the teachings of all the philosophers and counselors and, and leaders, and you kind of cut out all the fluff, it boils down to a poor representation of what Jesus preaches here. Man, like Jesus lays it down. He talks about blessing. He talks about the law. He talks about anger. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce, revenge, love, giving. He teaches them how to pray. He talks about money and a lot of other things. Jesus lays it down. We are gathered to grow, church. We're gathered in community here. We're meant to friend the people in this place 
And in our community around us, at work, at home, at school, down the street, your neighbors, we're meant to friend and love on and connect with people and gather to grow together. And then we're gathered to go, church. We're gathered to go. We're not just gathered by Jesus. Jesus didn't just call his followers, say, follow me, and then they just like, wandered around talking about Chick-fil-A and Alabama football. And, like, they didn't do that, right? Like, they, I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. Christian chicken, right? (laughs) But they were gathered for a purpose. They were gathered to grow. And then they were gathered to go. In Luke 10, verses 1 through 2, we read, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. Notice they went in community. They went together in pairs. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Man, I love that. His fields. Because it's all his. And we're meant to pray that we'll have a community of people that join together to grow together, to go together, to friend like Jesus, to love on people, to tell people this good news. So go. Go together. Community is helpful and it's necessary in fulfilling the mission of Christ, church. Like, we can't do this alone. Nobody can. That's why I love what we do with Manna. When we challenge churches throughout this country and people throughout this country to partner with us, to create community with us, to gather together, to go and serve and love and say that they matter. Like this video you're going to watch in a moment of Honduras. They matter, church. Community is necessary. Community brings safety. It brings comfort. It brings camaraderie, accountability, so much more. And then in Luke 10, verse 16, we, say, uh, we see Jesus saying, Then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. As we go in community, church, as we go alongside one another, as we gather to grow, and then we gather to go, destinies and eternities are changed. Both ours and others. So in this, we see Jesus sending out his disciples. We see them going and friending like no one else. We see them going and sharing Jesus like no one else. They're gathered to go. I want to tell you the story of a young lady named Amisha in one of our orphanages in Nepal. A couple years ago, I met Amisha one month after she had been brought in off the street and moved into our orphanage. Amisha was scared to death. 
She was broken. She was hurting. She was, she was hungry. She was hopeless. She had nobody. I met her a month after she got to our orphanage. And man, when we go on mission trips, when we lead people on mission trips, if, hint, hint, if you ever go on a mission trip with me, man, I want to introduce you to somebody like Amisha. It's going to change your life. It's going to change everything. And what we do on mission trips often is we'll go into an orphanage or a, a place or school or a nutrition center or whatever, and we'll go and just serve these people and serve these kids. And maybe it's cleaning or painting, but maybe it's just talking to them about Jesus and praying with them. But there's always one. And you go into a place with 35 kids, and there's always going to be one or two. For us, in 2008, it was Sagar and Asha. And then we went on this mission trip, and I challenged my team to split up with groups of kids and to pray with them and to listen to their stories, to pray over them. And for some reason, man, Amisha stood out. I said, Amisha, will you will you come and, and talk with me and pray with me? And I grabbed one of the other kiddos that had been there a long time so she knows great English. She could translate for me because Amisha didn't speak English at the time. And we sit down in a room and Amisha begins to tell her story and what's happened and she's scared and she's hesitant. And she's not sure what to say. But as I lean in and smile and tell her it's okay, she opens up more and more. By the end of the conversation, I asked Amisha, could I pray for her? She didn't know Jesus. She had heard about Jesus in our Bible studies since she had been there, but she hadn't accepted Jesus. She says, okay. And so I began to pray over Amisha. And then I finished praying, and I look at Amisha, and I say, will you pray over me? She looks at me like, what do you mean, pray over you like this? God doesn't even know me. And I get to tell Amisha that the God of the universe listens to our prayers. He cares about our prayers. And so Amisha begins to pray over me, and she stumbles through it. She doesn't know what to say, but it's so raw and beautiful. And I walk away praying for little Amisha to get saved. She's like 13, 14 years old. Six months later, I land there on another mission trip. And I go in, and man, I can't wait to see all the kids. I love them all so much. But in my heart, I wanted to see Amisha and to see what God had done. I go to talk to Amisha and realize that she's come to faith in Jesus. Because of a community around her that loved her to Jesus. That wouldn't let her continue being broken and hurt. Little Amisha tells me that <laughs> just last year, or actually, yeah, just last year, October. Amisha tells me that her teacher mentioned that kids in Africa didn't have a lot. Didn't have Jesus sometimes, didn't have the food that they needed, didn't have the clothes that they needed or shoes on their feet. And Amisha has been praying 
for kids in Africa. A kid that was brought in off the street not too long ago who has nothing, who had nothing, began to pray for people in Africa because she was touched by Jesus. She was friended like Jesus. Church, let me, let me wrap up and tell you something. Sometimes you're, we don't realize it. Like, we could be gathered here together. We could sit here together our whole lives. And we still not get it. Like, whether you're watching online or you're here in person today, if you're up in the nosebleeds, right? What we miss sometimes and what Pastor alluded to a moment ago is that sometimes we can sit in church, we can hear about church, we can hear about Jesus, and we cannot let it sink in. That we are not just gathered to hear about Jesus, church. Man, if that's all you're getting, there's so much more meat to this. We're gathered to grow. We're gathered to tell the Amishas among us, that God loves them and that he listens to them and that he's listening for them to cry out to him. And then we're gathered to go. And as we're gathered to go and we begin to go out and tell people in our community and around the world about this Jesus... And a friend of mine told me a story one time that uh, he was talking with somebody that had, had been in India, had lived in India their whole life, had just come to faith in Jesus. And, and he said that when the first person told him about Jesus, he felt that Jesus dancing on his heart. Isn't that beautiful? Church, we are one community away. We're one connection away. We're one friendship away from changing the destinies of people. Don't miss it. Church, we're gathered together. We're gathered to grow. We're gathered to go. And then we're gathered to build His kingdom. Church, I want to I challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to say yes to Jesus. And listen, I know that's going to look real different for all of us. For some of us, it's going to look like doing what we do. For some of us, man, we're sharing the gospel, we're telling people, we're loving people, we're serving people, and man, that's awesome. And for some of us, it's going to look like a radical change. For some of us, it's no longer going to be about us. For some of us, it's no longer going to be about just coming here and getting fed to get you through the week with all the bad news that you hear. For some of us, we're going to realize that we've got to be gathered. And we've got to grow and we've got to go. And so wherever you are within that, man, I want to challenge you to step out in faith today. I want to challenge you to ask God what he'd have you do today. And then carry it with you. And for some of us, it might be that we've not accepted Jesus as our Savior. And listen, I never want to go to any place 
whether I'm in New England or Alabama or Texas or Washington State or California, wherever I am, I never want to mistake and think that everybody sitting here today, everybody listening and watching online has said yes to Jesus because we can truthfully sit in church our whole lives without saying yes to Jesus, without accepting the free gift of salvation. And so if that's you, I want to tell you that there's a God who loves you just like he loves Amisha. I want to tell you there's a God who listens to you, just like he listens to Amisha. I want to challenge you today to accept a God who sent Jesus down to earth to live as God, but also man, to be tempted and challenged in all the ways that we are, to get through it unscathed, unsinned, to die a bloody death on a cross that he didn't deserve. To be buried in a borrowed tomb because he didn't need it that long. To fight a battle with sin and death and walk away alive, church. To walk among people. To tell us to go and share this good news. So if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior... Man, I'm not going to do anything weird and make you raise your hand or walk up here or do anything like that. But just in your spirit, you can just say yes. You can just say yes to Jesus.